Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick joining you Joining me, as always, is Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? 7.7 out of 10. 7.7. So that's a 0.7 raise for the signing of Ryan Gravenberch or the favourable Europa League group that we've just been handed? No, neither. Just because Nat Phillips might finally get a handful of games this season. (laughs) Nat Phillips. Away to Celtic on loan uh, to return in January, potentially. Why there's a break option in it, I have no idea. Otherwise, he will return next summer as a 27-year-old who will likely have less than 100 senior games under his belt and will have one year left on his contract and will no doubt go on loan again next season and then leave on a free because that is how well-run clubs operate. Uh, Carl, we did get a very favourable group in the Europa League. We got Lask of Austria, Union St. Gilles of Belgium, who are owned by the same person who owns Brighton and operate in a similar way and often have Brighton players there on loan. And we got Toulouse of France. This is, if we were to handpick a draw, considering quality of opponent and travel, this is probably the perfect draw. I'm sorry, I've been stunned into silence here by an Arsenal cor- an Arsenal fan in the corner laughing at me because it's a Europa League draw that we're talking about. It seems to have a very, very short memory of what the hell's been going on for the last eight years or so, but we'll we'll ignore that and move swiftly on. Um, it's a very handy one in terms of allowing us to plan for our season. I mean, for the players Liverpool have in the squad, even if we exclude whatever you think the strongest eleven is, which we briefly touched upon before going live, um, this should be a group stage which allows us to go through without any real um, 
hampering our league prospects, our league planning for the for the forthcoming weekend, without really overloading the squad in certain key areas, and uh, hopefully also allowing us to just you know wait until at least six or eight games in the bank for whether it's young players coming through or the backups getting a bit of more regular game time than usual, and then maybe we look at this again once the knockouts are not just underway because there's that other round to get through first, but maybe from quarters onwards, if we're there, then you can look at this as a, a competition to take any kind of real note of. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, there's absolutely no reason for, you know, Allison, Virgil, Ibu, Trent, Dominic, Alexis, Diaz or Mo to even be in a squad for this competition in the group stage. There really isn't. I mean, these are the type of games you roll in with Kelleher, Gomez, because Bradley's out, Matip and Kwanzaa, Costa Simicus. That's your back five. That's set. I assume Harvey and Curtis will start as the eights. And then it's a matter of, you know, is it Endo? Is it Gravenberch or whoever? Could be Thiago as the six. And then up front, Doak on one wing, Jota on the other, and whichever striker is not playing in the league the following uh, weekend, or not not starting in the league the following weekend, be it uh, Darwin or Cody. And I, I'd rather Cody play the Europa League games and Darwin get the Premier League games, but the opposite will probably happen. So we, we should roll through this quite comfortably. And then, you know, when we get into the knockout phases, we'll be joined by those substandard Champions League teams. So, you know, we might see Arsenal there in the Europa League knockout stage. Um Brighton have been handed a very tough group. West Ham have a difficult group, but they should come out of it. And the same is true of Rangers. I mean, Betis should be better, but Rangers would probably be favoured over Sparta Prague or Aris Limassol to finish second in that group. Um, we have some breaking news that, well, it's it's broken about an hour ago. Um, David Ornstein has reported that Liverpool have rejected a bid worth more than $100 million and plus substantial add-ons to, for, for Mohamed Salah from Al-Itihad. Proposal made on amicable call to Mike Gordon last night. Liverpool view as case closed. Saudi Pro League do not. Um, these people just don't seem to understand that no means no. I assume at this point, um, I mean, I've seen obviously mixed views, as is normally the case with transfer bids and stuff. You would be of the uh, persuasion of just saying no, just to make a point more than anything else. Yeah, at this point, yeah. We we can't replace him. We're not going to be able to replace him by the time the window closes. If this had been in July and it was 150 million plus add-ons, where we were guaranteed 150 million plus add-ons that were fairly easy to hit, then I think it would, would have been worth considering because we would have had time to go and find another replacement because you're never going to replace Mo, but you can recreate Mo and what he does across a couple of places. So in in July, I think it would have been something to discuss, but in late August and, and now on deadline day? Absolutely not. And what if the bid does come back later on this evening, this afternoon, whatever time it is, and it is substantially bigger? We've already seen a few of them on Twitter, obviously, 175, 
more than that, maybe. Let's say they came back with a, a Neymar eclipsing world record fee. 225 million euro. So just, what, 210, something like that in pounds? Aye. Um, I mean, the meltdown among the fan base would be fairly spectacular. Look, here's the, here's the thing. Are we going to win the league this year? No. So, I mean, maybe. Yeah, maybe. You, at that price, I think you'd have to. For a 31-year-old, I my, think you'd my, have to. My 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 concerns here, so just had a quick look, exchange rate, it's a little bit different to expect. A 230 euro would be about 200 million pounds. So around that figure, if you were getting that amount in. The concerns here, one, obviously, you, you're looking at between now and uh, January, you can't replace them anyway. So top four is a concern because that mm. would leave us effectively Darwin, Jota, Cody, Diaz. That's sort of the four that you go with as you attack. At least one of those has fairly notable injury fitness issues of late. Mm. Um, at least one of them, probably more, has fairly notable consistency issues of late. And the bigger concern in my my view right at this moment in time is that between now and January, who exactly are we looking to to make the decision of who to reinvest that money in? Well, that that's the bigger problem for me is that there's nobody worth their salt making those decisions. Like Jurgen is running recruitment and should not be. I, I think that's going to change post-window, but uh, I have a feeling the guy that they want is someone we probably can't have till February. So um, that is a concern. And, and look, you're right when you look at the group of attackers we have. Outside of Mo, there's no consistent, reliable source of goals and assists there. There just isn't. Darwin is inconsistent. Cody is inconsistent and maybe a bit more style than substance. Jota is very inconsistent and he's injury prone. And Diaz is inconsistent. Now, if we had an incredibly strong defensive unit, then you could be like, you know what, we'll win games 1-0. Because in in every game, one of them is likely to at least perform well. Dominic and Alexis will perform well. And if we had a really good holding midfielder and we had a really good left-sided defender and you were confident that this team is going to keep clean sheets week after week after week, yeah, then then you could consider it. So if we'd done the window properly and we'd signed the players we need, yeah, then I would I would definitely consider it. Because it's, I still think we could get top four and I still think we could... Well, I think we'll progress in the Europa League regardless, but I still think we could get top four. And then in January, you'd you'd go and you'd look. At least you'd have the four or five months to find the replacement and work on a deal. So you have somebody ready to come in January 1st. But we haven't done the window properly. So it has to be a hard pass. It has to be a hard pass. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA 
to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Which brings us straight to the weekend then. It does. It brings us to Aston Villa this weekend. Villa come into the game having had a strange start to the season. They got absolutely tonked by Newcastle. Then they did the tonking against Everton. And then they beat um, Burnley 3-1. They have progressed very comfortably in the Europa Conference League, beating Hibernian 5-0 away in the first leg and 3-0 at home in the second leg. Um, This is a good team. And I know the manager is not someone you're overly keen on, but he is a good manager. They've had a pretty decent summer. They brought in Yuri Tielemans. They brought in Pau Torres. They brought in Musa Diaby. They've brought in Nicolo Zaniolo on a loan. Uh, they have ruined most of the good work by bringing Clement Langley on loan as well, but he's a backup centre-back, so it's not necessarily the worst. Last season, obviously, they were outstanding once they sacked Gerrard and brought in uh, Emery. They were top-four form from when he took over to the end of the season, having been relegation form before he took over. The truth is they're probably somewhere in the middle. They overperformed last season under this manager. And while they have added to the squad, I think they'll find it harder to recreate that this season. What do you make of this Villa team? And what do you make of the job that they've done over the summer in terms of loading up again, having gotten into Europe? Um, I think definitely better squad depth in terms of how close the second group of, let's say, six players are behind the starting 11, 12, 13. Uh, I think that's improved quite considerably. You look at the people who have departed, like some of them obviously just played absolutely no part. Like Wesley, since his injury, had nothing to do with the first team. Uh, Marvel the Camber obviously had a couple of years in the team and then was gone. Cameron Archer, I know you rate, and a couple of Villa fans I know really rate him as well, but wasn't a, a first team environment contributor, let's say. So take away those, the only real first team and first team contributor player they've lost is Ashley Young, who wasn't great, let's say. Uh, Morgan Sanson, again, didn't really have much of an impact at all. So I think when you bring in people like Yuri Tielemans, Pal Torres, uh, let's say Nicolas Agnolo as a, as, a, as a lone addition, immediately, whether all those players start every week or not, your second group of players who can start matches are better. And that's already a big step forward, especially for a team who are going back into European competition, playing midweek and wanting to be competitive. Then when you add in a couple of stars, Moussa Diaby is an unbelievable capture for them. I think he's... I don't even know when their best capture before that would be. Obviously, Coutinho was intended to be, but hasn't proven to be. So, so what? Probably signing Martinez from Arsenal because he was a big deal at the time and he just managed to make the breakthrough, but he wasn't as established a player by any stretch of the imagination. So I think he is a really, really good addition to make the 11 better. Pau Torres probably makes the 11 better across the course of an entire year against Tyra Mings, but... Overall, I like where they are in terms of depth. We know they're a club that don't really have any financial worries because they're, they're very deep pockets from their backers. 
Um, I think that they're a little bit bloated, if anything, in terms of the squad. But obviously, there's quite a group there who are going to be well outside the first team environment and are just sort of not really got anywhere to go just yet, unless they do in the in the final hours of today as we're recording this. Um, so the squad is definitely coming together as a side that can compete in the top eight for sure. I think actually we might see them go a little bit higher than that unless Unai totally focuses later in the season on Europa Conference League uh, success and ambitions of going deep. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I do think that's very fair. I, I, like I, I've said that, I don't I don't like the two departures, Ramsey and um, Ramsey and Archer. I, I don't like selling high-end young talent, but it, it is what it is, and you have to balance the book some way, I suppose. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a number of players in this squad now that you'd look at and think, oh, you wouldn't mind having him at Liverpool. You know, Kamara being the, the the primary one. Odd that we didn't really explore that over the summer. Maybe we did and we were told a price that was just way beyond what we were comfortable with. Um, so how, have you seen much of them in their opening three games against the Toon, Everton and Burnley? I have. I watched the uh, Everton game and the Burnley game. I also watched the first leg against Hibs for some ungodly well. no reason. <laughs> I, don't, I, I think I texted you during the game, didn't I, to see if you were, yeah. if you were watching. Yeah, that was a, a mistake on my part, but at least the first half was entertaining because Hibs was so bad. So I watched about the first, I think, hour of that before I finally figured out I should do something else with my life. Um, so, yes, I've seen a weird amount of Aston Villa this season. Um, really, really good build-up play. Very, very clear patterns of build-up play, none of which is unexpected in the slightest because this is how Emery builds his team. The one alteration you would say is against Burnley obviously they went with a back three and wing backs which mm. I'm not sure if that was a product of um, the away day at Newcastle and he wanted a bit better balance than that because obviously Everton was at home they played very well they played the usual sort of four four two narrow Diaby as a second striker support and Watkins um, and I thought that they looked really balanced there they, they looked quite impressive in terms of their off the ball uh, returning to positions and where they were able to cover spaces. But of course, Everton are not a team who habitually do well much of anything at all, if we're being perfectly honest, over the last few months. Um, against Burnley, there was some really good build-up play from Burnley, as I think we spoke about on the on the previous podcast. Between both boxes, I think they're quite nice. I think the build-up play is quite good. Inside each penalty box, there's a lot lacking still for Burnley. And I think part of that against Villa was that their setup was really, really tight was really well spaced especially considering I don't know if they did it too much in pre-season obviously but I hadn't seen this Villa side under Emery play back three before um, even if they did Pal Torres is obviously a new addition so it worked nicely in terms of Matty Cash able to get really really high and advanced he obviously scored the first two goals there yeah um, but not just not just in terms of the goals I think the the link between let's say Diaby Watkins and Cash down that right channel was very, very good. I think Kamara was absolutely phenomenal in that match. He was very, very quick in terms of repossessions, uh, in terms of being in place where Burnley were going to try and play through. You didn't really see either of the Burnley centre mids get into very advanced positions because, one, they were stopped if they tried running with the ball, which was mostly Cullen, obviously, not Sanderberger. Uh, and two, if they did lose the ball, they were really quickly bypassed by 
Kamara or Louise passing straight into McGinn and Diaby, who played a little bit more narrow in that match. And so Burnley were forced into sitting really, really deep. I thought it was a very smart approach, but mostly Aston Villa won because they were just technically much, much better in the final third. Yeah, I'd fully agree with that. I did like the back three, I have to say, because Maddie Cash is someone that I, I, I liked when he was at Nottingham Forest, and he was a winger who was converted into a wing back. And that's the role he played there. And he just seemed to feel a lot more at home there at the weekend than he has at times at right back. Luca Dina is absolutely a wing back because he's just not very good defensively, but he is good going forward. Um, So I do wonder if it's possible that they'll stick to that because they've got Conza, they've got Diego Carlos and they've got Pau Torres and they've obviously paid big money for Carlos and Torres in the last two summers. I know Emery didn't sign Torres, but or didn't sign Carlos rather, but he is a player that was quite highly regarded in Spain, even if, you know, not necessarily as much outside. And if people were looking at him from a critical point of view, there's a lot of errors in his game that you wouldn't necessarily want. But Esri Kanz is probably still their best centre-back. So maybe playing the back three is just a way to, you know, get all of their better defenders regular game time. The Kamara Luis double pivot is is very, very good and is malleable to work in in most shapes. And then in attack, you know, you've, you're going to have Watkins, you're going to have Diaby, McGinn, Zaniolo can play the role McGinn played. I wouldn't be at all surprised if uh, if Yonderan has a a good kick on this season and shows what he's capable of. You've obviously got Leon Bailey as well, who could maybe be the rotation option for Diaby. So, as with a, a typical Emery squad, he is trying to assemble two players for every position that are very similar to each other. You know, like at left back, for example, you've got Luca Dina and you've got Alex Moreno. They're they're very similar players. They're both small, quick left backs who get forward well and struggle a little bit defensively. Clement Langley is a bit of a poor man's Pau Torres, that that sort of thing. Um, Yuri Thielemans and Douglas Louise, there's similarities in, in a lot of what they do. I, I am curious to see how this team works out this season. I, I do have a soft spot for Villa. Always have had, you know, the, there's always been a strong Irish connection. There's been a connection with Liverpool where a number of ex-Reds have gone there. So I, I have always had a soft spot for them and, I mean, they're a, they're a huge club. It's It's been forgotten by the younger generation, but Aston Villa are a massive club. And when the Premier League started, you could have made a really strong case that Aston Villa were the fourth biggest club in England behind Liverpool, United and Arsenal. It would be Villa or Everton in the, in the fourth spot and the other in the fifth spot. They've obviously had some very tough times over the past decade or so since kind of the end of the Martin O'Neill era. But they found a way again. They've got very ambitious owners who've got, you know, lots and lots of money. And they've gone out and they've got a good manager and a very good sporting director and they're making big moves. And as you said, like, Aston Villa getting Moussa Diaby is a massive coup because it's not that long ago this fellow has been looked at by the very top clubs and Leverkusen were quoting 80 million. 
And Villa spent about £52 million to get him in, which is huge money for a team not in the Champions League. But it does show the extent to which they're willing to push the envelope to, to improve and get themselves towards that Champions League. Because the thing about their owners that a lot of people just don't realise is these owners are not just here to have this team in the Premier League. These owners don't just want to have a good team. They genuinely want to bring silverware and real success back to Villa Park. And Wes Edens is incredibly ambitious. Like, he also co-owns the Milwaukee Bucks, who for a couple of years in a row had the best record in the regular season. But they flamed out in the playoffs. And in year three of Mike Budenholzer's term, it might have been year four, I think it was year three, they had a middling record but got into the playoffs and it was well known if they don't win the title this year he's gone hello i'm here to annoy you i'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on epl index we don't just have the anfield index stuff we've got epl index as well which covers the entirety of the premier league and we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, they're every week after the Premier League match week so make sure you listen to everything we're doing on epl index and follow us there on twitter at epl index thank you bye-bye they're just not going to deal with this anymore he will be gone he didn't win the title or he, he did win the title rather so he managed to stay on but normally with the nba if you win a, a championship especially in a small market like milwaukee you're a made man and unless things go catastrophically wrong, you will stay there for five years, 10 years, however long. Two years later, even though they'd had decent seasons, they fired him because he wasn't winning. He wasn't winning the championship. And that's what they that's what this guy cares about. Wes Edens isn't in this just to take part. He does have ambitions to see Aston Villa raise major silverware. It's why they've gone and they've gotten Emery. Because they, they're realistic enough to know the champion, the, the Premier League, when you've got City and you've got Chelsea and you've got United and all the money that they have, and then you've got Liverpool and you've got Arsenal, winning the Premier League is going to be next to impossible for them. But winning European trophies is a very distinct possibility. The Conference League potentially this year, the Europa League potentially next year. That's what Unai Emery does. That's why you hire Emery. You don't hire Emery to win league titles. This this squad, if they get obviously a favourable draw and you've got to merge them well, they'll contend for a domestic cup like into the quarters this year, and you know on a good day, obviously beyond that, no problem. I think with only a couple of changes to the strongest eleven, this is a cup winning team in England. Mm. Agreed, agreed. It is like they're capable of going head to head with most teams, and like you said, they're a couple of changes away from being an absolute nightmare to play against for anybody because 
Emery's teams will always be decent defensively. I know they had the disaster up at Newcastle, but the Mings injury screwed them because Torres wasn't ready to come on, gets chucked on, and immediately is at fault for two goals because he's not up to speed in the game. And then they just fell apart. Um, but they'll be they'll be difficult to score against. And when you've got Watkins, who's a nightmare to defend against, and now you add Diaby and potentially Zaniolo, who Look, if he, if it all clicks for him, he is a really special player. The issue with him has been injuries have slowed him. He's had two or maybe three torn ACLs, which is a nightmare for a player of that. It's a nightmare for anybody, but a, a player of that talent, you know, you're potentially losing one of the most talented players of his generation if things don't work out for him. I'm worried about this weekend, Carl, because we come into this game with no Virgil and no Ibu. And Ollie Watkins has given both of them trouble in the past. We've also got no Thiago, but Curtis Jones is back, which is a big positive for us in terms of midfield depth. Neville have problems of their own. Obviously, Emi Buendia is out for the season. That's a big blow to them because he would have been an important squad player. Mings is out for the season. Again, it's a blow. I think he would have been a squad player because they didn't sign Torres to sit on on the bench. But, you know, you still want to have as many decent players as you can. Jacob Ramsey's still out. Den Donker's still out. I'd imagine Coutinho's on his way out the door. It looks like Emi Martinez will miss this weekend. So that's a huge plus for us because... The drop-off from Emmy Martinez to Robin Olsen is fairly significant, as it is at most clubs, nearly all clubs, from starting keeper to backup. But, like, Emmy Martinez, for me, is one of the three best keepers in the league. And Robin Olsen, if I was to list the backups, he's probably not in the top ten. And then Moreno is still out, and Eric Boonham is still out. So, they do have a lot of injuries at the moment, uh, which is tough to manage, but we saw the team that played against Burnley and how, how well they did. If they turn up with that team, that's going to be a, a very difficult task for us, especially missing our starting centre-back pairing. Yes, and we remain to be seeing exactly which of the other centre-backs are fit because there was a, an issue for Matip sort of towards the end of last week as well. Kanate obviously is still trying to get back for this one, so other than Gomez starting, I think it's it's pretty open as to as to who partners him at the moment as well. Um, the real issue, as you as you alluded to, has obviously been the speed of running behind that uh, Villa's forwards have given us in the past, and not just in the past, but the ones that they brought in now as well. If Bailey happens to start speed running behind from the channels, direct uh, running with the ball, all his traits. Moussa Diaby has already shown that he's brilliant at doing it and he's doing it in much more central areas now as well when he gets the chance. So two quite big issues for us. I think from a defensive standpoint for Liverpool, stopping Villa at the source of their play is going to be a big thing this weekend. And we do sometimes see Unai goes a little bit more defensive-minded in terms of the setup and where they play from when they're away from home. If he does that, I think that plays into Liverpool's hands. It allows us to be a little bit higher upfield. It allows or it forces Villa to start with fewer people in the attacking uh, phases and also from a much, much deeper area. I think that will benefit Liverpool, even if you know 
they can Watkins and, and Diaby and that are very fast across the ground. It's it's less about their build up play and involvement in that case. So I think that that is a positive for us. But we haven't shown in midfield that we have the alignment or the stopping power against teams for even half an hour at a time. There have been little spells in matches where we've been quite good, either with the press or with you know our, our midfield group being very high upfield and we force them to play out in a hurry and we get the ball back really quickly. But that's not anything sustained at the minute and that's where the problems are going to come. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And it, it's something that we're going to have to work on. I mean, the the style of football that we've been playing this season is not really a sustainable style. Like you, you're not going to continually win games playing the way we did against Newcastle, um, even against Bournemouth. Like a good team punishes you, punishes you a lot more in those opening twenty minutes than they punished us. So that's of concern. And obviously, the Chelsea game was very concerning because we were good for that first period. And then we were genuinely terrible. And we're quite lucky to get away from there with a draw. But we do have seven points. And it, it does need to be remembered, we do have seven points from a fairly difficult first three games. This obviously makes it a very difficult first four games. And if we could end up with eight points even, that wouldn't be a bad start. But obviously we're hoping for the ten what would you do in terms of Liverpool's team for this game? Obviously, we know Alisson's going to start. But what are you doing ahead of him? Um, I mean, obviously, limited options in terms of personnel at the back. So I would be more looking at a, a system approach here. I think we have looked a little bit more balanced um, when, obviously, we've been asking Trent to stay more in line with his four when he's been asked to sort of hold that position a little bit wider. I think there's still scope for when we have sustained periods of possession and pressure high up field that he can move a little bit more centrally. But I don't think it has to be in every time we get the ball situation like it has been in previous matches. Uh, and I, I do think that especially if Villa are going to be playing with the back three, which means a narrow front three, what we want is to make sure the spaces and everybody's job is really, really carefully taken uh, into account in our defence, which when we have Trent as the defensive mid alongside Endo, whoever it is, is an absolute muddle. There's no other word for it. It's every man for himself and panic stations and everybody trying to cover for everybody else is is just asking for trouble, to be honest. Um, I don't think our build-up play has suffered because we've got more creativity in the centre of the park uh, through these central midfield plays that we have now. So. I don't think it's as important to get Trent on the ball centrally every single time we have possession as it was at times last season when we just looked more stodgy than a weak old bowl of mashed potato, you know? Um, So I would just go with the flat four, barring some moments in matches which you would like to think Trent has the game intelligence to pick out. Uh, So Trent and Robbo as the fullbacks. Obviously, Canate, if he's fit, would be the preference to partner Gomez. Um, If he's not, then... No, Jurgen has confirmed this morning that he's not. So it'll be it'll be Matip or it'll be Kwanzaa if Matip is not ready to go. And if it is Kwanzaa and Matip's not ready to play, if he gets hurt, we're we're probably moving Endo to centre back, which is not less than ideal, I suppose, but it is what it is. Uh, Just quickly, Villa's group in the Europa Conference League, AZ Alkmaar, which will be tough enough, Legia Warsaw, and Zorinski. 
uh, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of that, Z-R-I-N-J-S-K-I. Um, fairly straightforward villa, what you'd imagine will come through from that group. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I think it has to be a back four. I think we've looked much better. And I think Andy Robertson made a point of saying that in his post-match interview after the Newcastle game. He, he he did say, oh, we've looked better with 10 men, but I think what he meant was we look better when we're playing a real formation, a back four, because we look wide open when we're playing the, the three-box three. Now, I do have expectations that we're going to see Linders go full Linders ball at some point and play three diamond three at some point, which if we had a really good defensive midfielder and a really good left-sided like centre-back, I'd be more than happy to see it tried, but we don't, so we shouldn't. Um, midfield then, Dominic, Endo and Alexis, I assume, get the nod again? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we need to see a little bit more from Endo in terms of mobility and obviously his fitness and understanding and hopefully with another week's training, all of those are up a notch. But yeah, I think the three have to be the three because those are the three available seniors, the three in-place seniors, I don't think there's any need to be changing that just for the sake of it anyway. No, I agree. And then in attack, uh, Salah and Diaz either side would be the hope. But the big question mark is who plays up front. Darwin got his two goals against Newcastle and won us the game. Darwin, for me, should be the automatic choice in that role. Um, I know he frustrates at times, but he is a legitimate goal threat every time he's near the ball whether it's to score or just, you know, create some sort of havoc and someone else gets the opportunity. So I'd be going Mo, Darwin and Diaz as the front three. What, what would you look, be looking for? Cool. Uh, I, I don't think it's a question at all, to be honest. I think if Darwin doesn't start after what he did in his cameo, as it was against Newcastle, then I think you remove a lot of the point of coming on and having a, point, having a big impact in matches. If you're just going to be called upon to follow firefight and then even then you show you can do a better job than other people who have been on the pitch it removes a lot of motivation it probably instills quite a lot of anger uh it's not going to be good for morale for team uh competition for places take what you want out of those factors you don't play someone after that big uh showing late on in the match and there's there, there really is no positive there is No, I agree. I agree. Um, look, there's no real point in going a whole lot longer on this. So um, give me your prediction for this game, and then I want to throw some of the transfers that are happening today at you, just get a quick reaction out of you. I'm going to go for chaos and positivity. 3-1 to Liverpool, why not? Darwin to start with a goal very, very quickly before fading out of the game entirely, but we somehow managed to win anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go 2-1 to Liverpool, and I think Darwin will be a big factor in that. Darwin running behind Pau Torres is definitely a way we can we can open them up. Right, um, so I'm going to hit you with some transfers, and I want your reaction to them. Uh, Ansu Fati, Barcelona to Brighton on loan. Unbelievable capture. This is maybe one of my favourite deals of the window. It's nice. First of all, considering the other teams Antifati could have gone to, to to see a player picking someone based on what the team will do in terms of his role in the team, their style in the team, and not just because it's a bigger name. 
um, not going to a club because they're just the biggest one on offer or the most prestigious one or you know the reputation is better or whatever it is. This is a, a stylistic choice. I think is a brilliant fit. Obviously, he, he needs time and game time to get back to his sharpest level, technically and, and physically. But if you consider that Brighton's way of playing, their rotation of positions, and the fact that they've just lost Julio Anciso for you know, several months due to the knee injury, I think he's a brilliant addition to the squad for Brighton. And that is a really good pick from him. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, do I need to ask you whether you like Clement Lengley to Aston Villa? <laughs> I mean, I think he'll look really, really, really good zipped up in that coat on the bench. That's fair. Matthias Nunes, Wolves to Manchester City for £55 million. Um, stylistically a good fit, obviously. Um, he'll, he'll bring a lot to the table that they enjoy seeing. I'm not sure he makes them better as such, but certainly added depth is, is never uh, a bad thing for the teams at the top. I think they're all probably be a few performances that make people go, oh, I thought we had a buyout clause for him and we could go for him first choice and all the rest of it because he's a good player player in a very good team. Mm. So, you know, yeah, it's a good deal for them. It's a very difficult one for Wolves. I think they kind of got backed into a corner and had to take it. Uh, I don't necessarily think he's going to be a game changer for them because they don't really need one, but more of the same is going to make them win more trophies. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Nuno Tavares, Arsenal to Nottingham Forest on loan. Well, we did say they needed another left back and we did say that they have about 712 right backs. Mm -hmm. So uh, I still think at least two fullback stroke wing backs need to be making their way out of the city ground before the transfer window shuts. Otherwise, there's going to be quite a few unhappy people at different points of the season. Um, They have a massive squad. Yeah, I I think that it's... It's a fine addition in terms of what he is and where they are. I don't think it's like groundbreaking or anything, but it probably gets him a bit more game time. He was good um, over in France. So mm. if he's playing as a wing-back, I think it's an overall positive. If he plays in a back four, I have reservations. Yeah, I'd be exactly the same. I think he's a decent wing-back and a very poor left-back. Um, separate to the Matthias Nunes deal, but absolutely linked to the Matthias Nunes deal, is Tommy Doyle going from Manchester City to Wolves with an option to buy for five million, which is way below value for that player, um, I really like this one for Wolves. Now I think they need another midfielder in. He can't be the Nunes replacement, but I do really like this signing. Yeah, I mean, I have limited viewing of him from Championship, obviously, um, but prior to last season when he's had his Man City cameos, technically looks exactly what you would expect. What I would say. Price-wise is considering the the young players and players who haven't even appeared in the first team from Man City over the last two seasons. Um, I think it's fair to suggest, although Wolves were backed into a corner, the price that they were able to accept has come down because of this one. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, Last three then. Cole Palmer, Manchester City to Chelsea. This, to me, is one of the more surprising deals of the summer. Uh, yeah, I really like Cole Palmer. Uh, I think he's a really good player, and I was hoping that, you know, not from a Man City perspective, but from watching him play, I was hoping that he'd get a lot more game time this year, and especially with Riyad Mahrez departing. Uh, I think he's capable, to be honest, but going to Chelsea, where they have so many similar profile players, is going to make it a bit difficult. Um, mm. Not impossible. I think he's further along in development than uh, Noni Medweke, for example. Um, there'll be a couple of other players there in that 
general attacking midfield line because he can play probably right the way across the three. Um, there's game time to be had for sure. And I, I, I do think he's a really, really talented player. So again, a positive, but I think he could have had a better landing spot. Brennan Johnson from Nottingham Forest to Spurs for £45 million. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, magboxes, and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Uh, good step for him. I'm not 100% convinced on him as a leading nine in a 2 no. 3 but it feels like another Richarlison, basically. Like someone who can play up front, but is really good in terms of versatility, rotations, movement off the ball, link play, but not the number nine end product as such. So, To me, he's a Youngman's son successor. And yeah, I wonder if, that, that, if they're looking at that with the long-term view of maybe Sonny goes next summer and they have Johnson in and, and they should still have money to go and get a nine maybe in January, because maybe Ivan Tony is the one they want and they've decided to hold off till January. Yeah, possibly that. I mean, they've got quite a few in again in that sort of, let's say, the attacking four now. If you put in Mana Solomon and Dejan Kulisevsky, obviously, as well, and mm. uh, Brad Hill, who you fraudulently mentioned on the last podcast uh, in the same category. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, it's a really good group that Postacoglu's got to work with now. And I think that, Without European football this season for Spurs, there's really no excuse for them in terms of, what should we say, at least top six is par for them? Sixth? I think sixth might be par for Spurs this year, given the workload reduced this year. Um, There's still question marks over who gets the goals, but I definitely think they've got enough talent to share them all around and not miss out on a cumulative total. And linked to that one is Ibrahim Sanger from PSV Eindhoven, to Nottingham Forest. For me, that's a hell of a get for Forest. There should have been clubs at least two levels above that trying to get. Yeah, very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. It also looks like Calvin Phillips might end up going to Fulham, um, though there is still there is still a hint that Liverpool are interested in him and could do that job. What? Just let's finish on that. If we sign Calvin Phillips yeah. on loan with an option to buy, a, like a private loan, how would you react to that? Because for me, I think he's a really good player who's become massively underrated in the last 12 months. I think his injuries have been hugely overblown because the shoulder injury 
he got it at Leeds, played through it for a couple of years, and then it reoccurred, and he needed the surgery. So I don't worry about that. I worry a little bit about the hamstring that he had in the 21-22 season. But, I mean, Bielsa ball breaks everybody, so maybe not so much an issue. What would you think of Calvin Phillips coming into Liverpool? I'd feel more comfortable because we have someone who can naturally play as a six. It's still not the absolute ball winner that I would want there, considering the rest of the midfield alignment. But mm. at the minute, we are... Uh, let's say Gravenberch obviously gets gets finalised. We're then looking at two players coming in who have had next to no football last season. That doesn't fill me with enormous confidence. Um, I mean, yes, it would be a positive because I, I still think that we are woefully short in that sixth position. I really, oh, I just don't understand it in the slightest. And he's he has been a very, very good player. I don't think he's the perfect player by any means. Um, not for not for who else is in the midfield three with him. But I don't think we're gonna get the player who I think is is an ideal fit. Not 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 by name, but by um skill set, by yeah. characteristics. Yeah. So if it's more about positional cover and ball playing and technical support, then I, I don't see loads out there that we could get easier than Phillips, even if the price might be a little bit more than people would want. You know, you've made the point about pay, uh, paying more for Graben Birch than Bayern did, considering he did nothing for them, and we'd probably do similar with Phillips, and that would not amuse me. No, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, no, if, if, we were giving, if we were giving the city profit, no, I wouldn't be happy at all. Right, we will leave it there. Uh, we will be back next week. There's no game, obviously, next weekend, but we'll do a couple next week um, reviewing the the transfer window as a whole. So we might do one big one and split it into two where we go over what each club has done. And uh, we might do something else as well. Uh, have you anything to plug before we go? No, uh, just exactly what you're going to say. A couple of podcasts we'll do over the international break. There's been a few questions over the last couple of weeks that we said we would save for this break. So we'll get them done. And anyone else on Discord, do the same. Leave a couple of messages and we will uh, get to the questions. Oh, we do have one quick question. We do have one quick question. It's from Sandeep. If Mo's head's been turned, do you think we drop him this weekend? I I would say no. I I don't think Mo's head has been turned. I think the conversation was had over a week ago between him and Klopp, and I think the answer he got regarding his future was was fairly straightforward. So I I don't think his head will be turned. I mean, the guy's off in London loving life the last during during the week on his day off. So I don't think there's any worry that Mo is, you know, sulking or, or, or kicking up a fuss. Inclined to agree and where would we go anyway? But Jota right wing again, I'm 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 fine with a slightly below par Salah, even if that's the case. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, folks, thank you for listening and we will see you next week. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. 
It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.